Welcome to the Health Autonomy at End of Empire podcast on Mask FM, a semi-monthly investigation into the struggle to create health autonomy and the revolutionary care to build a new world. If you're interested in supporting our network with a monthly donation, please visit patreon.com slash maskfm. Welcome to episode four of Health Autonomy at the End Empire, the complexities of mental health. Today we'll be talking with Lysia, a friend and comrade, about personal experiences around, quote, mental health, and how mental health and the struggle for autonomy around mental health can increase our collective capacity for care. Mental health is such a difficult topic to talk about, especially the way that we talk about it in the West and especially in Western kind of medical societies and institutions. It's kind of prevalent everywhere, and yet it's the thing that nobody wants to talk about. And especially in our kind of radical circles or politics, it seems that everyone is suffering from some type of mental disorder, or that the invisible mental disorders that we all have are continuing to affect our ways of organizing and our ways of being in the world. Let's give some statistics. It's estimated that one in five people in the world will have some type of, quote, mental health diagnosis. And about half of these people are not getting any treatment. And for anyone who knows, you know, mental health is the the last thing to get covered by insurance. It's the hardest thing to get. And for those who are living precariously under, under, under insurance or under access, the thought of being able to go to a therapist and spend time talking about your, quote, unquote, problems seems almost foreign to them. And part of the problem, I think, too, may be the idea of how we talk about mental health and that when we say the words uh, diagnosis or mental health disorder, there's a, a kind of already a problematizing or medicalizing of the issue that there's a normal and then an abnormal. And, you know, thinking about how other cultures maybe view uh, what we would quote call mental health diseases, uh, looking at some indigenous cultures, just in kind of a broad stroke, but historically some cultures the the medical uh, the, the the medicine person or the shaman of of the 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 group was usually the person that nowadays we'd classify as schizophrenic or bipolar or having some type of severe mental disorder but for some of these cultures it's it's noted that there was a feeling that this this uh, uh, disorder allowed them to connect to a, a different spiritual plane and so that they were beneficial for the community. And a lot of the anti-psychiatry movements of the 70s and 80s, the same idea that how do we view these quote-unquote disorders as not such disorders, but just as alterations, the differences in being in the world, and that those differences are beneficial to society and actually essential for society. And by allowing people who are normally labeled as outcasts to feel part of a society and part of a collectivity, that it it decreases their symptoms and it changes the way that they they function in the world. And then you look at the way that, you know, in New York City especially, it seems that everyone is stressed, everyone is depressed, everyone has some type of mental disorder. You know, working in the ER, it's the the amount of people who are coming in for suicidality, homicidality, uh, or just vagrant behavior, just you know, un- being unable to to take care of themselves. You know the classic people living in the subways for for months and months at a time. But then also the 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 quote unquote normal people, the the successful business people who have crazy drug problems and who are trying to hurt themselves and and actively trying to kill themselves on the weekends. The the people who the housewife 
who is uh, drinking too much, drinking almost to to numb or quell some problem. And now with kids with the opioid, opioid epidemic, it's clear that there's something more than just uh, a vulnerability and an inability to control themselves that there's something psychological or mental going on that people are feeling that there's nothing worth quite living for and you look at the role of consumerism in mental health that has been talked about a lot but that you know oftentimes we feel especially in our society that these things are individualized that i am depressed or i feel anxious and uh, there is no structural analysis about looking at the fact that we are made to feel depressed and that we are made to feel anxious. That, you know, if you walk around the financial district in New York City, it is clear that your clothes are not good enough. You do not have the right car. You are not fit enough. You do not go on the right vacations and your hair does not look that good. And it's it's it, from the advertising, the, the way that beauty is talked about, the way that body image is talked about, the way that, you know, even this Instagram culture that... Um, <clears throat> It's no longer you can just go backpacking. You have to document the whole thing because you're creating this brand about yourself that you can then potentially sell or it just increases your social social capacity. And so all this creates this kind of overwhelming sense of anxiety and depression about where we are in the world. And then you add in just the, the clear precarity that we're facing, that it would be fairly normal for people to feel utterly depressed if there were no job prospects, that they were facing a lack of insurance and children were sick and they had no prospects for a future. And <clears throat> a lot of the talk around mental health, especially in, in our circles and around this idea of health autonomy, is that it is very complex and it is very nuanced because we all want to to fall into this idea that we could do it ourselves, that we could create the structures that are necessary to to deal with these problems. But is that even possible? You know, the, some of the the acute psychiatric diagnoses, you know, sometimes meds are necessary. And, and so what what is the, the nuanced conversation that we can begin to start looking at it structurally first, but then also individually? And then finally ending, and this is I think in a very important idea around the idea of health autonomy, that it's the relationships that we have between each other that will will be the way that we will find this answer. And that is only through being able, A, to talk about these problems or, or these issues that we're facing, and then B, to, to build the, the relationships and the foundations that can allow us to increase our collective capacity together. Because it's clear that there is no way we're going to deal with these issues alone. And some of the things that I've I've been thinking about recently, uh, a lot of it, uh, I'm very influenced, I think, by by the ideas of, of Eric Fromm and um, specifically his book, The Sane Society. And, and I've always thought it's kind of interesting, this idea that in an insane society, the most sane person is the one who goes insane. And, and I think about this sometimes when I go to work and, and quote unquote, you know, a, a psychiatric patient comes in. And oftentimes they talk about feeling this deep depression, this deep angst about the world, about, you know, things like climate change, about things like precarity. And, and the way they talk about it, the language they use maybe is not uh, political or it's not coherent. But at the same time, like I also feel that deep angst. I also feel that deep depression around the changes that I see in the world. And so what is it that makes me, quote unquote, normal and this other person abnormal and you know, perhaps that the person who is quote unquote going insane, maybe he's more sane than I am because he's actually taking the problem to heart 
and he's unable to cope with it and that perhaps I'm not taking it to heart and and just something that I think about. Um, but I just wanted to quote some some things from from this book where he talks a lot about alienation. And I think alienation is something that is happening more and more, especially with the rise of social media and, and all this uh, individualized branding and the, the rise of automation, that uh, these issues will probably become more and more true, especially in our younger generations. But he says, <clears throat> by alienization is meant a mode of experience in which the person experiences themselves as an alien. They have become, one might say, estranged from themselves. They do not experience themselves as the center of the world, as the center of their own acts, but their acts and their consequences have become their masters, <clears throat> whom they obey or whom they may even worship. The alienated person is out of touch with themselves, and he is out of touch with any other person. They, like the others, are experienced as things are experienced, with the sense and with common sense, but at the same time without being related to oneself and to the world outside positively. He also says, in the 19th century, inhumanity meant cruelty. In the 20th century, it means schizoid self-alienization. The danger of the past was that men became slaves. The danger of the future is that men may become robots. True enough, robots do not rebel. But given man's nature, robots cannot live and remain sane. They become golems. They'll destroy their world and themselves because they cannot stand any longer the boredom of a meaningless life. I also wanted to quote from this article uh, by Plan C, a group in the UK uh, that was written in 2014 that uh, has also been very influential. And it's it's written by the Institute for Precarious Consciousness, which I highly recommend and we'll link to at the end. But it's entitled, We Are All Very Anxious. And they talk about, you know, to sum up the article, but that each wave of capitalism has a, a dominant emotional theme and that anxiety is the, the theme for this. And so they say, if the first wave provided a machine for fighting misery and the second wave a machine for fighting boredom, what we now need is a machine for fighting anxiety. And this is something we do not yet have. If we see from within anxiety, we haven't yet performed the reversal of perspective, as the situation is called it, seeing from the standpoint of desire instead of power. Today's main forms of resistance still arise from the struggle against boredom. And since boredom's replacement by anxiety has have ceased to be effective, current militant resistance does not and cannot combat anxiety. It often involves deliberate exposure to high anxiety situations. Insurrectionists overcome anxiety by turning negative affects into anger and acting on this anger through a projectile affective attack. And in many ways, this provides an alternative to anxiety. However, it is difficult for people to pass from anxiety to anger, and it is easy for people to be pushed back the other way due to trauma. We've noticed a certain tendency for insurrectionists to refuse to take seriously the existence of psychological barriers to militant action. Their response tends to be, just do it. But anxiety is a real material force, not simply a spook. To be sure, its sources are often rooted in spooks, but the question of overcoming the grip of a spook is rarely as simple as consciously rejecting it. There's a whole series of psychological blockages underlying the spook's illusory power. So, just something to think about as we start this conversation and and I hope that this is an ongoing topic and something that I know in our, our own personal collectivities, a question that we are really struggling to answer. But that this idea that we together, through our relationships, can come to an answer is what gives me hope that we will find a way. So enjoy the interview and I look forward to talking to you again. Take care. 
Well, thanks for thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hey, Welcome. thank you. Um, you want to say hi to everyone? <laughs> Hello, listeners. <laughs> um, is that is that how people do it? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, well, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this. So just to start off this this conversation, and I think maybe talking to you is like a, a great example of what we are would like to highlight in the podcast. Mm are the different ways of thinking about similar topics. So, um, but you know, one of the, the, I guess even just to begin, you know, why, why talk about mental health? Like sure. why, why talk about mental health in these like radical spaces or in this like autonomous kind of struggle that we, we are in? I mean, I think like the reason, like the reason, the only reason that it occurs to me that people would not want to talk about it is some kind of an idea, some kind of idea of like a, of a dichotomy between people who are like, and I'm doing air quotes here, guys, like sort of um, like uh, people who like deal with mental health issues or don't, uh, which is weird to me um, because I, I think, and I think, I I think it's actually not uncommon to think about it this way as more of a, as, as very much a continuum, right? Like they're, maybe people who who deal with like a depression or dissociation or whatever more than other people or people who don't deal with it at all or whatever um but uh but i don't think that like having you know having a diagnosis or not or being in treatment or not um you know actually means anything right and it doesn't actually have anything to do with it, it has no medical or material bearing on anything. So, you know, given that, so yeah, so given that it is, it is just a continuum, like it is, it is as much sort of a part of life as anything else, right? So if we're talking about living lives in common, and if we're talking about doing politics in common, I don't see why we wouldn't talk about it in the way that we talk about the rest of life, if that makes sense. Like, uh, you know, I don't know that it makes sense to talk about mental health in terms of sickness or not for everyone, but it can often be understood as like a, as a form of struggle, whether it's, you know, a struggle with, uh, with capitalism or a struggle with self or meaning or a struggle with how to differentiate between these things. Like, you know, these are all like, these are all things that we come up against. And I think that part of, part of understanding life either in common or not is incorporating all of these things. So. And, um, I don't know, maybe if you could talk about what, like what your experiences have been around this, like even the term mental health or, um, like the, the mental health field. The term mental health? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I if I have experiences around the term mental health. I think that's an interesting question, but I'm not quite sure how to answer it. Um, in terms of my experiences in the mental health field, I'm guessing that means like I don't know. I mean, like. I've been in mental health treatment for most of my life, and that's looked like a lot of different things. It's taken on a lot of different forms. 
And some of those things have been helpful and some of them have been really, really not. Uh, so I'm not sure, but I think, I mean, I think that's, that's very subjective. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm struggling with that question a little bit because I don't know how to talk about that in a way that is not like very, very singular. Like, I don't know how to talk about that in a way that, that makes sense to sort of broaden. Um, then maybe like, um, I guess one of the things that I've seen, <clears throat> so we, we as, as, as a, a group, as a health group, have uh, talked a lot about trying to do mental health things. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these like self-care therapy, uh, communal mm-hmm. therapy groups. And to be honest, we've actually been very hesitant to do it mm-hmm. um, because I feel like there's, a, there's an inherent fear of diving, diving into the, the, the realm of, you know, air quotes, mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the groups that, that have done it, um, they're like very strong anti-psychiatry, anti-professionalization kind of movements, uh, of which I think are valid. Um, but then, um, I'm curious, like what your views are on the balance between kind of the professionalization of mental health and, and then the role that maybe these anti-professional or anti-psychiatry movements do have in these kind of spaces. Okay. I mean, I think that there's really in terms of people figuring out how to care for themselves or how to get care for mental health things there's really no room or like time or i mean i don't have any patience for people like being prescriptive like pun intended or whatever um i think it's really like a it's really a question of what works for different people, and I don't know, like, I understand, like, psychiatry as a professional institution is fucked, like, obviously, like, in in much the same way that any medical institution is fucked, and I mean, obviously not all of the same ways, like, it is, there are distinct ways in which psychiatry is fucked, and it's, you know, it's, you know, there, there are ways in which it is parallel and ways in which it is not, but ultimately I don't think that it's, really up to anyone to tell anyone else how they should or shouldn't be getting care if it's something that works for them like this is this is kind of a no-brainer to me and I think that there is a really important difference between between being you know critical of a bureaucracy and critical of a sort of like medicinal option that is available through that bureaucracy like you know uh, other other medical institutions are terrible but you still go and get antibiotics if you have an infection and to me it's not it's not a question of like shaming other people for wanting to do that or not so in terms of you know i guess there's not really there's not really that sort of black or white distinction for me like it's a question of there's a number of options at people's disposals and some of them require jumping through bureaucratic hoops and some of them don't and some of them are more institutional and some of them are not and it's a question of sort of trying what you want to try and seeing what works but I I don't see any point in being like anti this or anti that 
on other people's behalf, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've I've been curious about is even like the the way that mental like mental disease or mental illness, mm-hmm. mental health is is all um, kind of very prescriptive in the sense that there is a normal and then there's an abnormal. And so even those who have mental disease or mental illness are somehow abnormal and somehow we have to find a way to normalize them, um, even through uh, self-help groups uh, or through, uh, you know, professionalization. And something we see in the hospital is uh, uh, is a much more clear distinction of you are acting normal or you're not acting normal Um, and even how that is determined uh, within our society. And... So I guess that's maybe the, 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 the question I'm trying to ask with in regards to like this term mental health, like, um, in, in your experience, either personally or just like with friends, um, in different collectivities, uh, how have you viewed mental health or have you viewed this uh, idea of, of, uh, somehow being outside the norm? Um, and, and what role do you see that? Sure. I mean, I don't think that. I mean, there is, there is this sort of predominant characterization of what is normal and what is not, right? And I think that it's much more... The important question is much more like what feels manageable to you, right? Like, it's not, it's not really a question of some social norm. I mean, like, clearly it is to the extent of, like, what is being imposed and what will what will sort of be thrown back at you all the time. But I think that in terms of... in Ideally, in terms of what drives people to seek care for themselves, ideally, it should be, like, when people feel that they need help. And I don't think that there's, like... I don't think that there is a line. I don't think that... I don't think that it's always possible to differentiate between these two things, um, to differentiate between like what you know you're being told all the time and what you internally feel. Like clearly, there's clearly it's very difficult to like draw boundaries between these things. Um, but yeah, I think that the the determining factor is is at best uh, when it when it is when it is manageable or feels good or not, regardless of what is being kind of projected onto you or whoever externally. And I think like going back a bit to what you were saying about um about trying to do like do mental health or do therapy or whatever and and trying to like I mean I don't I don't know a lot about or anything about what you guys have tried or not, but like trying to tread some line or trying to like not venture too far into like professionalism or whatever like I guess to me it seems like the aversion to anything that seems like too quote-unquote professional ties often ties into some kind of idea of like purity right like we don't interact with this like system because it's bad or like these we don't want to rely on these things because they are bad and it's true like the way that these things function is terrible um but i think that it's also important to acknowledge that like in terms of how things function now like 
this is how medicine is sometimes accessed, right? So, like, you know, purity is cool or something. Um, but I don't know how practical it is. Yeah, I think that's a big thing that we've really noticed. Like, we always say, like, you know, if, if one of us breaks our leg, we're, like, we're going to go to the hospital. Like, yeah. not to one of our, like, radical spaces. And so I think mental health is, like, one of those re- really amorphous areas where... Yeah, the purity of, like, no, we never take meds can also be, like, very detrimental. Like, yeah. can actually make you feel guilty, like, add to your kind of, like, uh, internal depression or internal, like, purity politics. Yeah, so what it, but, like, what is fundamentally the difference between this and that, right? Like, like yes, there is, there there are differences for sure. Like, you know, if you... Like, you know, if you get shot, right, like, you you probably don't want to come to Woodbine first. Like, you probably, you probably just want to go to the ER. Like, that's a problem. And for mental health things, it is, it is a bit more of a gray area, right? Like, you know, it's, you don't necessarily need this, that, or the other thing, and it's, it's more of a personal choice. But at the same time, like, these options are available, and there's nothing more, like, impure about taking medication for mental health then there is something impure about going to the hospital for a fucking gunshot wound like there there's no qualitative difference between these things there's really not well it's interesting you say that i remember one time <clears throat> i was working in san diego in this hospital and mm. <clears throat> we had just had like a, a cpr like a, a cardiac arrest like you see on the, the tv uh and everyone ran to the room and dealt with it and um and then in the room right next to him was a, a 25-year-old kid who was having his first break psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the social worker said to me, he's like, and nobody was in that other room, right? And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, the sad thing is, is that, that this kid um, mentally is going through the sim- like, same thing that this guy is going through. But yet nobody can recognize it or nobody can see it. And so nobody can, can do anything about it. Yeah, and I mean to be clear, I, I didn't I didn't draw that analogy like to to say that like one is is as bad or worse than the other. I was just you know trying to trying to illustrate that like within like you know whatever circle or whatever milieu, I, I just don't understand the difference between these attitudes. That like this one thing is like yes, obviously like you go to the doctor for this thing, but like no, you can't go to the doctor for this other thing. It's like health, dude, like. Sometimes you need medicine, like, go to the doctor, get medicine, it's fine. Like, the the sort of, like, bureaucracy the doctor is hooked up to fucking sucks, but, like, alright, he's got drugs, it's chill. Yeah. You kind of mentioned this idea of, like, trying different things out or, like, trying to see what works for you. Yeah. One, one of the things that people have, or I've heard people say, especially in within the mental health field is that once you get stuck in the bureaucracy it's so hard to get out of it like it's so hard to see yourself as even having a possibility of being outside of it do you have thoughts on that or like sure i mean like you know i'm not you know i i I hope it's i'm sure i'm sure it's self-evident that like that all of these experiences are singular and i'm like not speaking for everyone or anyone other than myself um I don't know, you know, like, it's absolutely true that taking 
you know, taking certain medication can, like, can just sort of chill you out, and taking other medication can, like, sort of fundamentally alter, like, how your brain works, and I'm, you know, not a psychopharmacologist, I don't know anything about this scientifically, I'm not going to pretend to. Um, And I've been on enough different drugs that I have some anecdotal knowledge about, like, the different extremes or not to which medication can like alter how you function in the world. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that like, yeah, that can happen. Um, and I think that maybe not maybe I think that part of like with the, with the questions that you sent me, part of what I was thinking about in terms of like, uh, building some kind of framework for understanding mental health into like a broader health autonomy project is like collectivizing knowledge about how to like with within specifically some kind of uh, professional mental health uh, uh, framework or whatever is kind of like collectivizing knowledge about how to navigate that both in terms of like the straight bureaucracy itself and also what to expect or what kind of questions to ask or what kind of things to look out for in terms of uh, your body and your chemistry and things like that. Um, just, just within that sphere, that would be part of it for me in terms of thinking about that. Just because like, I think that it can be, it can be pretty overwhelming to not have any idea what you're getting into with with things like that. And I would imagine that like talking about mental health within like this more autonomous framework, you know, obviously can mean a lot of things, but but talking about it specifically regarding uh, some kind of like professional institutional thing would really mean uh, talking about like uh, just really mean like sharing anecdotal knowledge on that front. I'd be curious, uh, <clears throat> like your your views on like work around mental health or work around like our collective mental health, and this idea kind of that you brought up in the beginning of this like life in common, mm-hmm. like how how we kind of think about it. Um, I don't know. Just one of the things like I, I like personally, my views around mental health. I've been very shaped by um, by the sane society, like this idea that um, the 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 most sane person in an insane so- society, the most sane person is the one that goes insane, mm-hmm. um, and how like I've had these experiences in in the ER, for example, where you know it's just like a couple months ago, I had this young guy who, in any other circumstance, uh, we probably would could be friends. Mm-hmm. Um, same age, same price socioeconomic background. You know, he seemed like he was into the same hobbies, but he also was going through like a manic break and um, was talking about the state of the world, the news, how it was like causing utter depression and darkness in his soul. Mm-hmm. And he got so manic that we ended up having to sedate him. Mm-hmm. And I, I just remember the look in his eyes when he, he could see us that we were holding him down and putting the needle in. And he just said something to the effect of like, I just thought you would understand. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know this idea of like how we're so alienated from the things because then like when I read the news I get really depressed and I go to like dark places and it it is it's like you know the 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 world is is dying they're like species going extinct like that would be a natural response yeah yeah to go like completely like lose your mind and yet we don't and this guy did and yet he's the insane one um so anyway that's a lot, very long-winded way of asking like I'm curious how you view this like reconnection or this re-putting our lives in common this like de-alienation as a as a way of of working through mental health or through mental health ideas I think that you know things like you know capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy like all of these things exacerbate the fuck out of whatever whatever mental health issues are right and they also cause them I don't buy into the idea that like absent capitalism no one would be chronically depressed like this doesn't this doesn't resonate with me um but I do think that in fighting against whatever we're fighting against we're also fighting against the causes of these things and it also you know crisis whatever like crisis of various different forms is an ongoing symptom of capitalism right like we understand this so dealing with crisis is necessarily the ability to handle crisis is necessarily part of any kind of autonomous project which i think sort of goes back to why talking about mental health is important in the first place within autonomous projects i guess i guess that's a sort of long way of saying that uh that i don't think that that yeah i i, I don't think that like once capitalism is gone, everyone will be fine. Um, but I do think that like it is, it is necessary to understand that these things have a profound impact on mental health, like whatever that sort of broad amorphous idea is, and that part of fighting against these things is like fighting for mental health as well as everything else. I would just be curious, um, just as we kind of wrap up, but. Um... One of the goals, so recently we went upstate to this project that we have upstate. Um, and one of the main th- reasons that we've been trying to do this, like um, to have like an expansion um, on this huge plot of land in, uh, in upstate New York is to increase our capacity to put our lives in common mm-hmm. um, as a way to overcome the limitations of the city. The fact that time is so short, resources are so short, um, it's almost impossible to see people. Uh, and have like deep connections here in the city um, uh, without a a ton of work because everyone is working all the time. Um, And so how can we start thinking about these things outside of that? Uh, But then also, as we've talked about, you know, on the ride back, like the, um, that uh, the city also holds this excitement, that it also holds this potential for new connections and new possibilities here. And how can we meld the two and, um, and so for me, it seems like going upstate, yes, on one level is great for my mental health. Um, and hopefully the, the ability to build a commune up there will, will increase other people's mental health. But then also the fact of being able to come into the city and have those experiences is also really good for our like collective mental health and as a way to, to build that up. But anyway, I'd be curious about what your, your thoughts are, your reflections on, on this, um, 
this idea of like building the commune or like building the life in common building the life in common upstate i mean or here i guess it is impossible here in the city you know uh i mean oh that's a big one i mean like regarding upstate specifically like you and i think about this a little bit differently uh so i wanted to (laughs) (laughs) you know i think that like Upstate was nice. I learned a lot about uh, opening frozen car doors, but like it was helpful. Uh, but you know, I I don't think that there is anything to the idea that like universally the country feels good and the city feels bad. And uh, you know, maybe there's someone out there who can come back at me about that with like some scientific data about oxygen levels or something. Um, but, uh, you know, yes, uh, I do think that stillness can be healthy, um, but I, I am not really on board with this sort of, like, uh, dichotomy or something. Uh, and I guess that maybe, you know, regarding mental health sort of as a general thing there's something to be said for you know there's something to be said for like being able to change environments right like they either temporarily or long term like that can be healthy and that can be refreshing and that can definitely make a difference and maybe regarding this project specifically it's it is good that within the project there are these multiple spaces that people can kind of circulate through and like have this ability to to do that um so i I mean that's definitely a good thing like that that strikes me as being like a positive thing all around um you know i don't know i don't know what a life in common looks like in terms of in terms of a mental health like in like the city versus the country or something i think it has much more to do with the way that people understand each other than where they are cool well i think that kind of wraps us up is there anything else that you would like to add or questions you wish you wish we had talked about no i think i'm okay all right cool yeah. well great well thank you so much for for um, coming on thanks for having me Matt. yeah absolutely and we'll much more to talk about in terms of mental health yeah for sure and to end today's episode as part of our cultural experience a poem called we all conspire by mario benedetti you'll always be at some border taking risks in your lovely ragged dream, remembering still waters and comfort at the same time, so mistrustful but never incredulous, never more than innocent, never less, that sterile border with its customs and sluggards and gold braiding and also this other one that separates past from future. But how great that you breathe, that you conspire. They say that you rose too early, that you shouted in the middle of the public siesta, But maybe our truth is another one. For instance, that we all sleep until too late. Until blow, until crisis, until hunger. 
until filth, until thirst, until shame. For instance, that you are alone or with a few, that you are with yourself and that is enough, because with you are the many few that have always been Pueblo and don't know it. And how great that you breathe, that you conspire in this night of putrid calm, under this moon of languidity and loathing. Maybe in the end we all conspire. You simply give the signal of fervor, the decent flag with its pole of cane. But in the end we all conspire. Not just the old men who have nothing with which to write graffiti, the dismissed and the beggar, and the indebted and the poor sycophants, whose incense doesn't yield as it did five years ago. The truth is that we all conspire, but not only those who you imagine, the old guard, the blindly powerful, of course without knowing it, the owners of your lands and their claws, how sick even the worst, for your own good which is the good of time, even though they believe that their anger is unique or have discovered their mother load and their own explosives, the swanky women and the ministers of state, the well-bound generals, the mercenaries, the timid, the defenseless, the debauched, the mama's boys, and the mommies who buy their morphine at the exploited and inflated price, all wanting to or not conspiring, including the wind that hits at the back of the neck and blows in the direction of history, so that this breaks, this ends up, breaking what is cracked, all conspire so that in the end you attain And this is the great thing I wanted to tell you. Leave behind the simple border, and finally settle in your visions. Never more than innocent, never less. In your future, now in that dream, ragged and lovely as few dreams are.